0: Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design with RMIT University and I'm here with architect Liam Eastop. He is the director of Eastop Architects. Welcome to the program, Liam. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Look, as a writer, I feel my duty is to look at new talent and that's what keeps me going. And uh, and you fit into that category, Liam, because I saw your project uh your first project that I came across was the uh, renovation of Nanda Katsoliti's project from the mid-80s, uh, which earned you an award. Tell me, uh, before we even start, uh, Liam, tell me a little bit about your background. Um, is it something you've been craving? You know, is it something as a child you always wanted to be an architect? You're always good with pencils and drawing.
1: What happened? Um Look, I think, um, so my background was, I grew up, um, my mum was a painter, Um, my dad was into photography um, and I guess I'd always been attracted to the arts, um, was sort of the starting point of kind of my interest in design and art. And I actually, um, yeah, studied visual communication, so graphic design at at university as sort of the starting point. Is that at Um, RMIT? No, Monash, Monash um, Caulfield. And I, yeah, was studying there, enjoying that, enjoying design. um, And I I had always sort of been quite spatially aware, um, even noticing that when I was doing design work um, in sort of a 2D space and then where opportunities presented to do 3D work, I really enjoyed it. And then I guess um, Monash started to teach architecture. And that was sort of a, it was sort of like the opportunity presented itself kind of front and center and I decided to sort of transfer and, um, yeah, transferred into architecture and really, um, I obviously really enjoyed it. Um, and so I studied there straight from BizCom graphic design to into architecture. So I was at university for about seven years and then went straight into teaching after that as well. Um, and so that was kind of the, the entry point, um, I did go to school at Woodley, um, which had some Godsell buildings. Um, so I think I sort of became familiar with his work very early on. Um,
0: That's, Woodley's a school in Geelong, correct? Or
1: no, it- no. Other side, other coast, a um, bit regional, um, Baxter. So behind Mount Eliza, a um, bit of an alternative school that we, yeah, we sort of rummaged around a bush kind of context with kind of pavilions scattered throughout. Um, and so that was sort of, yeah, I guess that was my first sort of taste to do with architecture and ideas around architecture was probably seeing some of Godsell's buildings in that context.
0: Um, And that's Sean Godsell, not his father, David. Yeah, Sean Godsell. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Was it the fact that they are kind of almost very fragile pieces in the landscape rather than?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think um, it's, I'm only thinking about this now, really, but those, those buildings at the time, like the corridor spaces were kind of externalized, which were pretty progressive, um, in, when they were built, which would have been 20 odd years ago, more. Um, and I guess those buildings nest themselves in the landscape and they're sort of ideas that we're exploring as well with some of our kind of coastal or more regional work as well. Currently.
0: Um, so Liam, you, you worked with, uh, Woodmarsh architects for a number of years.
1: Yeah, I worked with Roger and Randall um, and still close with them and other peers from, I guess, the team and people who I worked with. Um, we sort of, I actually didn't do many residential projects when I was there. I did a couple um, sort of helping the team there, but it was, I mainly worked on infrastructure, a tower in um, Brisbane and some multi-res work um, and then dabbled in some of the resi projects. Um, yeah. So,
0: Loom, how do you know it's time to start your own practice? Is it a project that comes your way or is it something that you just feel if you don't do it now, you'll never
1: uh, take I think, the plunge? Um, yeah, definitely. So I was pretty scared about starting a practice um, as a starting point. Um, I was fortunate to get a project for some close friends and they gave quite a bit of, um, I guess, sort of trust um, and that was Rose Street in Fitzroy. Um, and effectively that project was the first real built project that I got on site. Um, and then the builder who was building that project referred two other projects to us. Um, and at that point, I was at a position where it was, um, do I continue working um, and then sort of trying to squeeze in Rose Street on the side or do I take the plunge and sort of say, oh, this is an opportunity to to start? Um, and then my partner, Fuchsia, um, sort of gave me a bit of a shove and said, why don't you just do it and give it a go? And so, yeah, I took the plunge at that point, um, which was fairly, I think I was in my late 20s, maybe 28 at the time. Um, and yeah, basically the studio started from one project and then the referral of the two others. And then there was a little bit of a snowball effect at the beginning of the studio where we were collecting lots of work from peers, which kept us going. Um, and then I think straight away I sort of noticed at the beginning of establishing the studio that there were values or ideas of projects that I wanted to sort of tackle or get hold of, so to speak. Um, and they so they occasionally would present themselves, but then occasionally not. And so we sort of also dabbled in some speculative kind of projects and and just maybe designing spaces without even a budget or a client or a brief, it might've just been an idea about a void or a um, a facade or an environment or a landscape. And that proved to be quite helpful in trying to explain ideas to new clients as they came along to sort of say, well, this is the work that we have access to currently, this is what we're doing and this is how we're executing that. And here are other ideas about space and about architecture and landscape. Um, um,
0: Liam, for someone who's adventurous mm, or yeah. has an open mind, mm. those schematics or those ideas would be obviously welcomed and people, people could see the benefit of having these kind of uh, more ethereal ideas.
1: Mm. But how rare is that to get a client who actually gets it? Um, <sighs> At the beginning, I was like, where are these clients? Do they exist? <laughs> do, <laughs> um, they? do they? exist? Um, yeah, some of them do. And some of them, um, yeah, like st- it's not like every one of our clients these days is just coming up and saying, oh, let's give this, all these ideas a, a crack, so to speak. Um, but there are definitely people that understand and it gives people an, an entry into understanding what you're trying to do. Um, and-, and it helps establish a bit of trust. So it might be that we, I sort of see it as like partial research, but it might just be exploring like a negative or a void space um, that's interconnected with landscape and architecture and to sort of explain an idea around that to a client and then say, oh, we might be able to take these ideas into your project. Um, This is how they might carry out Um, sort of allows a client to see a bit of a vision before actually getting you fully engaged. That's been kind of helpful. Um, and definitely, like, it feels like in the we studio, ha- we do have some really exciting projects that are, that are coming up, um, which I'm just, yeah, like still coming to terms that we've got um, the ability to work on some of these projects, which is great. Um, and I think we wouldn't have got them without testing those ideas. So um,
0: if, if we look at the, one of the key projects you started with, it was mm. a, uh, a very small extension to Nonda gallery in Carlton, yeah. mm. it's called the Elm Tree House, which is yeah. an interesting one, mm. and I remember talking to you about it and you said, well, they interviewed, the clients interviewed a number of architects and, and they liked you because you were going to keep the original <laughs> floor.
1: Yeah, it was literally the floor. They saw value in this Palladian marble floor um, and everyone, I think it's hard when... <laughs> how to establish an alterations and additions project, like how much do you remove? How much do you keep? There's that balancing line. And I think when you're dealing with an existing conditions that is quite forward and quite um, sort aggressive, but there, there was a, there was a level of very front and center design going on from Nanda at the beginning. And I think to try and, navigate around how do you balance that how do you interpret the language so we didn't necessarily come to the to that site and say we're going to stamp this our values and ignore what's currently there and just sort of plonk it down and say this is what we're going to do and i think a lot of the architects which they did interview were sort of that's their model Um, and like obviously, with all the projects that we're working on, we do bring through our ideas and values into them. But I sort of sort of looked at the project and wanted to understand the the language that was um, that was present in the project, and then how could we use that language, um, which was very elemental, um, and how could we understand that, and then sort of take hold of that, and then marry it together with without. Um, necessarily that completely clashing with it or um or disregarding just saying one we want to remove everything that's um because it was i
0: mean non is a big name for melbourne Mm.
1: yeah and and
0: it's was an important project even Mm. though it was um you know it might have been his largest project but mid-80s he would have been a relatively new architect he would have Mm. only been working for a couple of years Mm. maybe a few five years or something yeah i feel like as part of our heritage as well,
1: yeah, definitely. Um, and you could see that, like, you can see projects when you move through them, uh, where details of uh, when there's a level of intuition, I think, in projects, and there's a level of um, level of creativity in projects, and there was that in that project. So you could see that there was a closeness um, already on the site, and that was that level of detail is something that we also wanted to try and learn and understand it, and then put our own spin on. Um, And I think because it was an early project of his, um, he would have been very close to it as well. Um,
0: You mentioned, Liam, um, I mean, that that renovation has a bit of an 80s feel going, Mm, mm. which which is understandable given it was the mid-80s when Mm. it was um, completed. But you were saying the other day you uh, have a real love of that period. What is it about the 80s that... People don't see that you see in architecture and design, obviously, or it could be anything. That what,
1: what I think there's a level of sort of an ambition. There was obviously a lot of money flowing around at that particular time, so there was a lot of opportunity to follow through with a bit of ambition and a bit of um, and be a bit more expressive and not so concerned with um, sort of the conflict of like functional versus. Rational versus formal. It was. Um, I think there was a, a level of ambition to say, "Well, we can be different. We can be a bit loud, um, and not necessarily that's the ideas that we want our work to be as well." Um, but there's a level of kind of um, boldness and creative drive, which I sort of see in those projects. Um, and it's sort of a moody as well. So not necessarily like that site um, was walled on all sides. Um, light was a big constraint um and so we i sort of knew straight off the bat it was we could either fake it and just put light timber walls throughout the whole thing and paint all the walls as white as we can and try and just manipulate the light in that sense and just try and make it bright and light and or we could just accept that the light is challenged um and try and create spaces that vary throughout the project it's a bit of a labyrinth project so um yeah there's layers to it and I think that's sort of interesting that the spaces aren't all the same they you move from a darker more textural space to a more light and open space and and light also being um carried through in terms of some of the detailing and um of like the glazing that we use throughout so it might not be light in a sense of form and in mass it's also like the, the elements that are being used. So whether it's like steel windows or like fluted glass to create that layering effect um, was sort of interested in carrying on the details through, through the scales of the project um, I think was important. And and that project for us was a real opportunity. It was probably the first project where we had a bit of budget to sort of play around with and a very trusting client where we didn't really have a brief per se, um, but it wasn't as if we were designing a family home. We were designing a, subdivision of a rear of a property um that the client wasn't necessarily going to live in that their plan was to sort of rent it and then potentially sell um with the purpose of then working on the front portion of the house which would be their main house so we were sort of dealing with a hypothetical client too um where in a sense that client potentially sort of became us um so it became the client who we're working for but also us as a studio um so it was quite interesting. It was sort of like designing a space for yourself yeah. effectively, um, which I think is really important. Um, like Randall um, from Woodmarsh always sort of said, like um, you should do a project, like you should, you need to believe in everything you do. Um, and if you believe in it, people will trust you. Um, and I think that's something that um, like, if you're always believing in what you do and you're close enough to it, um, then people will gain they'll have your trust. Um, the moment you stop believing in something, it's quite transparent, I think, and that's when people lose a bit of faith. And then all of a sudden you're becoming the drafts person mm. of a project, so, not so the Lee, architect.
0: So Liam, if I rang you tomorrow and said, look, I've got this Palazzo um, and I want a really grand house and big pillars everywhere, you'd say yes or no? <laughs> Or would you try and reinterpret it
1: in a contemporary way? Yeah, I'll try and understand what, what 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 type of space you're trying to create, really, and what what is the um, I try and deep, delve deeper into the meaning of why you want that, um, rather than it being we want this visual architecture. Um, I'd be more interested in the space um, and the site as well. Um, yeah, I'd probably go and try to understand who that client is and do you gel with that client or is it someone that you probably should stay away from? Um, I think you know th- that straight away.
0: Yeah, I think years ago um, I heard the expression from someone when they knew the job wasn't going to work out mm. when the client said, I'm looking for something really contemporary.
1: Yeah. Well, what's contemporary? It's just like, oh.
0: Um. <laughs> It has so many different meanings, and obviously I think if you have to say the word contemporary, then it's probably not a good start. Yeah. I was um, going to bring up this gorgeous house that you've just completed in Windsor, Mm. uh, which also got an award from the Institute. Um, Very small site, Mm. only probably about 160, 170 square metres. Yeah. Um, But you created something really quite special there. And tell me about that project because um, it'll be appearing in Wallpaper magazine in the October issue, I believe. Yeah. What, what is it about that? That Was it the clients?
1: Was it this, just being so hemmed in? I think um, so that project was the, the third project that we had ever had the opportunity to work on. Um, so that came from that referral from that builder. So we're very fortunate to get that um, to have that brief and that project. Um, and I guess, so I sort of saw that project as an, op- a very big opportunity for us. Um, so we kind of delved deep into that project because the clients were trusting. We obviously, we had a mutual kind of understanding around design. Um, and the site was challenging in a sense that, it, it was challenging, but also had opportunities. So it, it was walled on all sides again. Um, so that meant that light was a bit of an issue, but we could also take advantage of that to create a sense of privacy and volume. Um, and really, I guess the project for us was, well, one we, we sort of called it the void house in, in the office. We haven't really said that out loud too often, but it was about creating a negative space in the house, um, a sort of a central light void within the house, which then sort of became a crucifix or the the central point um, that the house is designed around and programmed around. Um, And then I guess the courtyard garden to the rear and then the front of the house is very important. So the house is private um, from the street, very much so, but then it does have a sense of kind of giving back. So it's kind of a contradiction in itself where it's quite blunt to the street, but then also the garden is presented back. Um, previously, there was quite a tall fence on the site, um, and so I kind of like the, the idea that the architecture sits within within the, seat, the street. Sorry, not just the site. Um, um,
0: Lim, it has quite a strong Japanese feel.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, obviously there is that connection. It's the size of the site, mm. the transition between the street and the house, mm-hmm. but Definitely. also. Th- uh, the, the, the serenity of the house. It's very quiet, both obviously uh, noise-wise, but mm. particularly in materials. Yeah, Very subtle. You know, like walls are kind of detailed with ever so slight differentiation. You yeah. know, there's nothing jarring. It really looks like you've had a very, you know, everything's been considered.
1: Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think like, I like to think of the space as being foggy. Um, you could kind oh, that's of... That's lovely. Yeah, so considering the the volume of, of space being foggy or sort of a liquid, so to speak. And so that's um, something that we try to take on, that those sort of ideas. So in terms of the texturing of walls, um, basically the, 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 there's variation. So there's, there's contrasting elements such as the kitchen, which is all timber kind of dark joinery, but... The rest of the walls are um, they're rough sort of stucco walls merging into softer rendered plastered walls. Um, the bathrooms are a variation in um, in concrete tile with different texturing applied. Um, and so it was sort of to, to to make the space tonal in a sense. Um, and then there are bolder elements also, which are reading as more abstract elements um, within the, the kind of central area of the house being the kitchen and the dining, which is, I guess... a. Uh, a monolithic kind of intersection between two spaces. Um, yeah. So I guess for us um, it, it was an exciting project um, and the clients became more and more trusting throughout. Um, and yeah, like it's been really well received. It's um, it's a great space to be in. They're obviously very happy there, which is great. Um, yeah. It's I'm really happy with it. Yeah. how,
0: easy is it to find clients like the ones you have um, yeah, i mean because you know if every one there must be 10 that aren't quite right and you think oh can i can i easily persuade them to my way of thinking or do you find from your experience liam that if someone's really quite set about what they want and it's completely different from your values and the way that they think do you kind of just try and pass them on to someone else who you think may be able to help
1: them or do you believe in pers- the art of persuasion? I don't necessarily. I think it's a good idea to, um, I think to follow your gut and your intuition, but that's the same with design and also how you might, um, form a relationship with someone. Um, I think, you know, straight away if something's going to work, um, we've had, you know, like we've had, we, I sort of know what a difficult client is now. Um, I've had, <laughs> I've, I've said yes to one of those jobs before and, um, it didn't end it. Well, the project was the project ended well from a project point of view, but the outcome wasn't it, what you're hoping. It for. wasn't what we were hoping for. So, and, and now it's kind of got to the point where we, we're fortunate to have projects um, that we're working on, which we are really proud of and happy to be working on um, with great clients. And it's about trying to hold yourself together to sort of, to say no to those projects. Cause you're also trying to run a business, I guess as well. Um, and you've got, wages and staff and other things to think about. So it's a matter of, um, being patient, I think, um, and knowing that there's, you only have a certain level of capacity to deliver the projects that we're wanting to produce and, um, and yet taking time and, and working on the ones that are great that we've got, and then hoping and knowing that other projects will come about. And it's only really been in the last year that I've sort of had that change of headspace to sort of know that, oh, things will pop up because they have always popped up and everything has always kind of been um, moving really well. And, yeah, we've got a good team at the moment, which is great. And, um, yeah, it's nice. We're in a new space post-COVID, which has been fantastic. Um, well, look, um, all the best, Liam. Uh,
0: mm. I mean, I usually do follow my, like you, I follow my gut instinct. and. Yeah. I can only judge people on the work that I see mm. and the way you approach that work. And I really do believe your name will be, you know, much louder mm. and much more, you know, widely spread as we move forward. I mean, I, I just can't. The work that you've done so far has been very, very carefully done and thoughtful. And there is that that quietness that I think is so lovely to to enter. I mean, these mm. spaces are beautiful. So, look, well done. And hopefully you'll get the right clients and um, not the ones like me who want the grand Palazzo. (laughs) And you keep well. And thanks so much for being my guest on Talking Design today.
1: Thanks for having us, Stephen. Yeah, really appreciated it.
0: You've been listening to Stephen Crafty. Talking Design is produced by RMIT University and brought to you in partnership with Melbourne City Council. If you'd like to stay up to date with all things Talking Design, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at talking Design underscore.